1 Corinthians 7 from verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly trouble, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under the necessity, having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I, that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's wonderful to see you online this morning. And uh, I'm just scrolling across my screen and uh, I can see uh, all your faces. Uh, so lovely uh, to, to see you. Um, can I uh, make a special mention uh, this morning of Jan? Um, it's uh, I can see that Jan has now uh, uh, got a camera and we can see you. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it's been a long time since uh, we've seen uh, Jan, so it's good to see you uh, and uh, welcome. Uh, well, my uh, 
thing around the house um, that uh, represents lockdown for me uh, is uh, my running shoes. Um, I've been going out for as much exercise as possible, and um, it's it's been uh, great also to um, walk with some of you. Um, and uh, there have been a few people that I've been walking with, and they've been uh, encouraging me and reminding me of the gospel, and uh, hopefully I've been able to do that for them. So uh, can I just encourage everyone to um, do all we can, can uh, especially at this time, to uh, call one another, to meet with one another online, uh, to go for walks or whatever we can do uh, to uh, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, as uh, John reminded us this morning. Uh, well, it would be great if you can have 1 Corinthians 7 open in front of you. Um, and we're going to have a look at these uh, uh, verses uh, quite closely this morning. But uh, let me lead us in prayer uh, that God, God would help us uh, to understand his word. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, uh, we grieve uh, this morning because uh, there are so many things that we would like to be doing, which we cannot do. But uh, we also give you great thanks that there are many things that we are still able to do. Uh, we thank you that we can gather online uh, as a church family. Uh, we thank you that we can go for walks. Uh, we thank you that we can make calls. Uh, we thank you that we can uh, spend time in your word and in prayer and that we can encourage one another uh, to uh, keep our eyes firmly fixed on the hope that we have in Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that uh, this morning you would lift our spirits, and uh, we pray that you would uh, give us um, humble hearts that are full of reverence and awe for you as we come before your word, and uh, we ask that as we hear the things that you have to say to us, um, that you would teach us, and transform us to be people who live uh, lives that are pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever dreamt of making a big change in your life? Uh, have you ever thought that if I can just change the kind of life I'm living, uh, I will be a happier, more fulfilled, and even godlier person? I think it's very tempting to think this way, isn't it? Uh, you know, our culture always encourages us to be changing our life circumstances. Uh, we love the idea of a sea change, for example, where we can leave behind the rat race of the city and escape to the coast where we can find a better life and a better version of me. Or uh, we can watch people like Marie Kondo. And, uh, you know, you think if I could just get rid of all my stuff and become a minimalist, then I will be happier and uh, less irritable and, uh, uh, and a better person. Uh, or you can think to yourself, if I could just change my life and go traveling all around the world, then I will become a wiser and more enlightened uh, and a better version of myself. Now, of course, uh, the Bible is not always against changing your circumstances for the better, as we will come to see. But I want to suggest that the passage we're looking at this morning uh, is very countercultural because it's all about remaining in your current life circumstance. Uh, you can see it there in verse 20, can't you? If you have your Bibles open, have a look with me at verse 20. 
Paul says there, each of you should remain in the condition in which he was called. Uh, or come down with me to verse 24. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, uh, there let him remain with God. Or verse 26, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Or verse 40, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. You see, the, the theme of remaining in your circumstance uh, is all throughout this passage. But that's God's wisdom, isn't it, for, for us uh, in this part of his word. Uh, to remain in our current uh, uh, circumstance or condition. Are you and I uh, people who are willing to remain where we are if it means living a life that is pleasing to God? That's the challenge of of this particular passage, I think. Uh, Now, in the first part of our passage, you can see there that strangely, uh, Paul speaks about circumcision and slavery. And he says to the Corinthian church that you should remain in the condition you were in when you first became a Christian. Uh, You can see the principle uh, stated broadly in verse 17. Verse 17, uh, Paul says, Only let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule, not just in Corinth, but in all the churches. You see this principle again in verse 24, where he says, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, uh, there let him remain with God. Uh, That is, friends, when God calls you as a Christian person to belong to him, it's never in a vacuum, is it? It comes with uh, as part of a life package. Uh, It's like when you go to Fantastic Furniture and you get a package deal on on furniture. Uh, Similarly, your Christian life comes with a whole life package of unique circumstances um, that uh, only you experience in the way that you experience it. Uh, Some of you may have been wealthy when God called you to be a Christian. Others of you were single parents when you became a Christian. Still others were divorced. Uh, Others worked as doctors, lawyers, nurses. In Corinth, some people were Jews who were circumcised when they were Christians, when they became Christians, rather. Others were uncircumcised. Some were slaves when they became Christians. Others were free people. But here's the point. Paul says that whether you are circumcised or a slave, you are to remain in your current life circumstance rather than being overly concerned about changing all the time. For it seems that the Corinthians were wanting to change their life circumstance and uh, live a different life to the one they were living. How can you relate to that? Uh, Some who were circumcised may have wanted to reverse their circumcision, uh, perhaps to be more acceptable to the pagan culture around them and uh, to uh, the people they did business with around them. Uh, others who were not circumcised may have wanted circumcision because uh, when they became a Christian, they mistakenly thought that um, that would be more pleasing in God's sight. But what about slavery? 
Well, notice that Paul doesn't tell slaves to simply remain in their situation. But he says towards the end of verse 21, verse 21, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. In other words, uh, Paul is not against change per se. He's not against change if it's clearly for the better. Uh, neither is Paul pro-slavery, as some people accuse him of. Uh, he clearly thinks that if you can get out of slavery and gain your freedom, then you should avail yourself of that opportunity. But Paul also knows that slaves don't really have that much of a say when it comes to their freedom. And so what he says to them in verse 21 is not to be overly concerned about their situation and be content to remain in their present condition, you see. Now, why would Paul encourage Christians to remain as they are? Well, uh, you can see in our passage that it's because in God's eyes, there is something even more important than changing your life circumstance. And that is to live in godliness in your present condition. To live in godliness in your present condition. Uh, the key verse, I think, is verse 19, where uh, Paul says, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That is the, the Old Testament commandments seen through the eyes of the gospel. Uh, or come down with me to verse 22. Paul says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Literally, it is there let him remain before God. In other words, what is more important than changing your life circumstance is the life that you are presently living before the sight of God. Now, here's the million-dollar question. Why does Paul suddenly speak about circumcision and slavery uh, here? Uh, you know, we've, we've seen that chapter 7 uh, is generally about uh, singleness and, and marriage and uh, matters of that nature. But here in the middle of chapter 7, Paul drops in a passage about circumcision and slavery. Uh, it feels a little bit like a square peg. Uh, in a round hole in one of those children's puzzles, doesn't it? It, it doesn't quite seem to, to fit here. But ponder it, friends, and you will see just how wise uh, our God really is. For what Paul says here has everything to do with marriage and singleness, doesn't it? Or isn't it true that when it comes to marriage and singleness, you and I can often think that what I really need for myself is to change my circumstance in life? Is that true of you, as it is true of me at times? You know, when you are single, it's so easy to think that if I can just get married, then I will be happier and more fulfilled and perhaps even better able to serve God 
in my life. Or if I'm stuck in, a, in an unhappy marriage, it's so easy to think that if I can just get out of this marriage, I will be happier and more fulfilled and perhaps even able to serve God better in my life. But I want you to see very clearly that what God says here is that changing your circumstance is not the most important thing. What is most important is the way you and I are living before God in our present circumstances. In fact, if you cannot be a godly and self-controlled and content person as a single, what makes you think that if you get married, you will suddenly become a godly and self-controlled and content? Or if you cannot be godly and self-controlled and content as a married person. But what makes you think that things will change if you get a divorce or you suddenly end up single? My friends, we must be aware of the trap of thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. If you are someone who feels trapped in your singleness or trapped in an unhappy marriage, uh, will you listen to God's voice this morning? Are you someone who is working on your godliness and serving God in the life package that he has given to you? Or are you someone who simply thinks that if your externals changed, then somehow you will live a life more pleasing to God? Now, having laid down the basic principle of remaining in your circumstance, uh, Paul goes on to apply this to singleness, you'll notice. Uh, specifically, you can see there in verse 25 that Paul addresses those who are betrothed. Uh, who are the betrothed here? Well, literally the word in the original language is the word virgins. That is, uh, Paul is speaking about young virgins, um, those people who, who may have been betrothed to another person in marriage, but equally those people who may not have had any marriage suitors in their life at the moment. And what, and what does Paul say to these young virgins? Well, in verse 26, he says to the virgin man that it is good for him to remain unmarried as he is. Uh, you can see it there in verse 27, can't you? He says that those who are betrothed should not seek to be free from the one they are betrothed to, but stay in that state. And those who have no marriage prospects should not seek to be married. In other words, stay unmarried and single is what he is saying. Of course, what Paul is encouraging here is for single people to remain in the state of celibate singleness. I think that needs to be said because. Uh, you know, when our world speaks about singleness, uh, it's not the same thing as what Christians mean by singleness. Now, uh, when the world speaks about singleness, it's not usually celibate singleness, but the, the freedom of being single while uh, still being able to have sex, now, free from the commitment or responsibility of marriage. But here, Paul's pastoral advice is for Christian singles to seriously consider celibate singleness in their lives. Now, uh, I should clarify at this point that Paul is not saying that singleness is somehow um, a higher calling in life, a more holy calling in life. 
than marriages. Uh, that's the mistake of asceticism, which was a, a pop, very popular view in church history, uh, where monks and nuns and other people who took vows of celibacy were seen to be the spiritual elites. It's also the mistake of the Roman Catholic religion that elevates celibacy above other stations in life. But in our passage today, you can see that Paul encourages singles to consider remaining as they are for three reasons that are very different. Now, here are the, the three reasons he gives. Are you ready for these? Uh, firstly, you can see there in verse 26 that Paul encourages singleness because of the present distress. What is this present distress? Well, many commentators have spilt a lot of ink speculating on what this might be. Some commentators think it might be a, a severe food shortage or famine during the time in Corinth. Uh, others think it might have been a time of great social unrest. Uh, other people think that it might have been uh, a time of great persecution of Christian people in Corinth. The fact of the matter is that we do not know. Uh, this passage doesn't tell us. And I think a, a good way of reading the Bible is that if uh, the Bible doesn't tell us something, it's probably because it's not really that important for us to know in God's eyes. For the point that Paul makes here is a very simple one. Uh, he's just saying that there will be particularly distressing situations in life where it may be wise not to get married, at least uh, in the interim. It's not too hard to imagine what some of those situations might be. Uh, and so, for example, what if there is a war and uh, there is a high likelihood that uh, people around you in your city uh, will die at some stage from the war? Is it a wise thing to get married in such a distressing time and uh, bring children into the world? Um, or what if you are engaged and your fiancé is found to have a terminal illness? Now, is it a wise thing in that situation to get married? Or what if you, you live in a part of the world where Christians are routinely persecuted? Is it a wise thing to get married and bring more children into the world? Or what if you are living through a time of pandemic? Is that a wise time to, to get married? Now, of course, Paul is not laying out hard and fast rules here, is he? Now, I don't know whether you notice, but in verse 25, Paul says that he's not bringing a black and white rule from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that he did a few verses before where he spoke about Jesus's command not to get divorced, for example. Rather, he's speaking here as the spirit-filled and trustworthy apostle whose wisdom is worthy of serious thought in your life. The second reason for remaining single is that the time is short. Now you can see it there in verse 29, which literally reads, but this I declare, brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown very short. Now what is the appointed time here? 
take it that what Paul is speaking about here is the time before Jesus returns and judges the world, when those who follow Jesus will go to everlasting life and those who have lived in ignorance of Jesus will be will suffer eternal condemnation. And so because this time is short, the character of the times is different. And perhaps if you are a single person, then living as a celibate single in this time is something to seriously consider. Imagine, friends, if you are on the Titanic and you know that uh, within uh, a short period of time, the ship is going to plough into an iceberg and is going to capsize in the freezing waters of the Atlantic Ocean. What do you do? Well, now is not the time to sit in the buffet gorging yourself with food, is it? Uh, similarly, now is not the time to sit in the first-class lounge playing cards or roulette, is it? No, the character of the time has changed. And so now is the time to warn everyone and try to drag everyone into a lifeboat so that they will be saved. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that because the time is short and because Jesus is going to come soon to judge the world, then your life and my life simply cannot be the same as before. If you have a look at the middle, ver middle of verse 29 in your Bibles, the middle of verse 29, you can see there that Paul speaks about having uh, those having wives uh, living as though they don't have wives and those who mourn as though they were not mourning and so on and so forth. Now, what Paul is saying here is not that you are to neglect your wife if you are married or uh, to have a stiff upper lip so that you don't feel any sadness in your life. Now, what he's saying is that because the time is short and Jesus is going to return, you are not to hold so tightly to the relationships and things of this world that is sure to pass away, but to live in the light of the judgment day that is to come. And so, if you are married, you are not to live as though your spouse and family is everything. The idolization of family is a great temptation for us, isn't it, friends? Such that our spouse and children become the focus of everything and the thing we bow down to in our lives. But no, says Paul, you are to sit loose to those relationships for the sake of doing the work of the Lord. Or if you are single, you are not to mourn your singleness and wallow in self-pity. That's often the temptation for single people, isn't it? Because there is urgent work to do and lives to be saved for the gospel. Or if you are rejoicing in this world and living as though life is one great big party, then you are to start to live as though you were not rejoicing. There will be a time for rejoicing, but now is not that time because now is the time for salvation. Now is the time to drag people into the boat with you, you see. Or if you are living as though the only thing that things that matter in this world is what you buy and what you drive and where you live, then you are to live very differently if you are a Christian person because the things of this world will pass away, says Paul. 
But what you do for the sake of the gospel is what really matters to God above all things. But thirdly, if the time is short, then a life of celibate singleness makes a great deal of sense because the single person can be undivided in their devotion to the gospel. Now, that's Paul's point in verse 32, isn't it? Verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Now, of course, this isn't saying that um, single people don't have worries in life. Sure, they do. But Paul's point is that, generally speaking, single children do not have the same responsibilities that married people do towards their spouse and children. Their life is a little bit less complicated if you are single. You know, the single person does not need to worry about school pick-up and drop-off. The single person does not need to worry about visiting the in-laws. Single person does not need to worry about financially providing for a spouse and children. Single person does not need to uh, be home to look after the family in the evening. And so the single person has real flexibility to devote themselves to the work of the Lord. Of course, single people, as much as anyone else, can use this flexibility in very selfish ways rather than for the work of the Lord, can't they? But further, this isn't saying that married people are not able to be devoted to the gospel either. And it's just the cop-out when married people simply want to leave all the gospel work to those who are young and single, citing the difficulties of marriage to excuse themselves. But nevertheless, it is true that single people can devote themselves to the work of the Lord in a way that married people simply cannot. It's no wonder that many of the modern-day heroes of our faith were single people who were able to do so much for the gospel because of their single state. Uh, think of people like John Stott, for example, or John Chapman, uh, or Helen Roosevelt, that extraordinary single Christian doctor who traveled as a single woman to the Congo to tell people the gospel there. She suffered tremendously. She was beaten. She was brutally raped by uh, many men. But she was still able to say the words at the end, if Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great to make for him. What a wonderful example of undivided devotion to the Lord. So, friends, can you see why Paul considers singleness better than marriage? It's not because it is a morally better state. It's because a single person can give themselves in to the work of the Lord in a way that married people can't. In the light of gospel realities, singleness is such a great gift from God, friends. And so, Church of Nine, uh, do we see singleness as a good thing like God does? 
Do you and I ask our single friends the terribly unhelpful question of when are they finally going to get married? Or do we ask the more pleasing question, the, the more God-pleasing question of how are you going in your devotion to God at the moment? If you are a parent here, uh, will you pressure your children if they reach a certain age and are not married? Or will you do the more God-pleasing thing of encouraging your single children to use their time and energy and resources as much as possible in undivided devotion to the Lord? You know, celibate singleness is anathema to the world. But it will only really make sense if you and I value the gospel as precious beyond all things. Is this you and, I, and me? Now, none of this is to say, of course, that it is wrong to get married. Uh, we won't have time to finish this passage in detail this morning, but uh, you can see there in verse 36 that the man who marries his betrothed because he finds it difficult to exercise self-control does not sin. Uh, further, in verse 39, the widow is said to be free to marry anyone she wishes, but only in the Lord, only if he is a believer. Marrying an unbeliever is always a foolish thing to do for the Christ Christian person in God's eyes. Of course, uh, this is not to say that you can't be self-controlled as a single person and marriage is the only option if you are struggling sexually. You know, God calls us to be self-controlled with all sorts of things, doesn't he? Now, God calls each and every one of us to be self-controlled with our temper and our tongue and our greed and jealousy and our pride. So why would we think that it was impossible to be self-controlled when it comes to our libido? Now, marriage is not the only option if you are struggling with sexual drive. But the thrust of this part of God's word is that singleness is better in the sense that it allows greater devotion to the Lord. Uh, I reckon in our church family, friends, uh, the real heroes are our single brothers and sisters who serve the gospel and who serve us in such undivided ways. We have many of them. It may be uh, those who have never been married. Uh, it may be our single mothers for whom Life is very tough indeed. It may be our widows. But if you are single and trusting Jesus in your life, then no matter what the world may say about your singleness, um, I want you to see that you are affirmed in your state, in your state of singleness by uh, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, which is the only affirmation that really matters. Well, have you ever dreamt of changing your life circumstances? Have you ever thought that if I just change, if I can just change my life, the life that I'm living now, I'll be a happier, more fulfilled, and even godlier person? Now, some of you might know that I love to tell the story of B.B. Warfield. Uh, Warfield not only had an impressive beard, but uh, he was a very able theologian at Princeton University. Uh, in 1876, he married the love of his life, uh, a woman named Annie. 
but tragically during their honeymoon, they were caught up in a severe thunderstorm in Germany and Annie suffered shock and became an, in, an invalid for the rest of her life. But the story goes that for the rest of his life, Warfield cared for his incapacitated wife. He lectured at the university and in between lectures, he would go home to feed his wife and to read to her. He never left the city he worked in again. He never traveled again. This was his life circumstance until the day his wife died. And yet he was still able to influence the Christian world through his writings, which are still read in theological colleges around the world. You see, much more important than changing your circumstances, condition in life, is your godliness and faithfulness before God, isn't it? If you are single, are you consumed by your desire to change your circumstances? Or will you use your singleness to grow in godliness and undivided devotion to the Lord, which is pleasing in God's sight? If you are married, you often feel trapped and uh, want to get out of your present situation? Or are you working on your godliness and devotion to the Lord in the life circumstance that God has given you? God says, if you belong to me, it's okay to remain where you are. But remember the really important thing is to keep the commandments of God. It's to serve him and to serve the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And we thank you that you have given singleness as a good gift to many in our church family just as you have given marriage as a, as a good gift to many of us. And Father, we pray that whatever life circumstance you have given to each and every one of us, that you would help us to be growing in godliness. If there are any of us who feel trapped in our singleness or in our marriages, we ask for contentment and the wisdom to live in ways that please you, whatever the circumstances of our lives. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning that the time is short, that the time is ever more shorter now than it was in Paul's day. And so we ask that you would help us to feel the urgency of the present time. We ask that you would help us clearly understand that now is the day of salvation. And we pray that you would help us to live differently in undivided devotion to you and love for others so that those around us might come to know your goodness and mercy in the gospel. For we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.